0: We are Sarva. The future of education starts here. Hey, and welcome to this episode of Everyday Genius. I'm your host, Pete Craig, and today I'm joined by uh, one of the co-founders of Sarva uh, and also my co-host today, Trey Sean Bentalmi. Trey, say hello.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Hey, cool. And uh, today's guest is... Um, She's a writer, she's a speaker, she's an advocate for fe- feminism, for youth empowerment, and for literacy. Um, and perhaps, you know, um, one of the things that we will talk about is, uh, is a TED Talk. So she's a, she's a TED speaker as well, and she did a TED Talk back in 2010 that has now been seen by over 5 million people and has been translated into over 40 different languages. Now that TED Talk is, is extremely relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, and it was, uh, the title of it is What Adults Can Learn From Kids. Um, so we'll, uh, we're going to dive straight into that. And I'm sure Trey Sean will have plenty of questions and opinions <laughs> about what adults can learn from kids. Um, but uh, for now, please join me in welcoming Adora Spytack to today's call. Adora, welcome.
2: Hey there, it's so great to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, so I'm going to kick things off because I want to get a question in before Trey Sean starts. Um, I wanna ask you, what what was it that kind of stimulated that that TED talk?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was basically a kid who was fed up with hearing adults make decisions about children without really ever inviting kids into the room where those decisions are being made. It started with really going to a lot of schools and I was giving these presentations to students. I eventually went to education conferences and started giving speeches to rooms full of teachers and principals. And I was really shocked that I was often the only person under the age of 25 or 30 in some of those places in these education conferences where decisions are made about what technologies should be introduced, different pedagogies teachers would be using, how principals would look at discipline, all of these decisions that first and foremost affected people my age. And so I thought this is something that has to change. I delivered that TED Talk, What Adults Can Learn From Kids. But I also went on to organize a conference with other students in my hometown in, in a suburb of Seattle. And we made a rule that we would invite all young speakers. It would be all youth organizers. Mm-hmm. And the audience was primarily young people as well. So we really just wanted to show the world young people can do anything we set our minds to as long as we're given these opportunities and platforms.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think you know we um, we will we'll put a link as well as a link to yeah you know, to Adora's page. We'll put a link to to that specific TED Talk because I, it it's recommended listening for for any adult out there, and it's also recommended listening for any uh, uh for any child. I think because it's hugely inspirational and it's um and it's extremely accurate, you know, <laughs> um, and, and and entertaining as well. It it had me uh, and the audience laughing at a uh, uh, number number of occasions. So um yeah i think i think you got their attention and um yeah i think you started to to make
1: a mark for sure
2: i do hope so
0: yeah uh trey yeah
1: definitely um so there's a couple of many questions that i had actually as the talk was absolutely amazing but one of the key ones is just simply like what are sort of like the top five things that you've learned out of life so far
2: the top five things i've learned from life that is a really good question and in a lot of ways, I feel like I am constantly learning. I still have so much to pick up on. I think that one of the things about, I guess, giving this talk as a, as a kid, um, and a lot of people when they meet me, they, they know me for something that I did when I was 12 years old, is that I'm forever kind of trying to remind myself, what can I learn from kids who are now that age what can I uh, pick up so I would say that's lesson number one is always looking to those not only who are older than me but those who are younger than me to be mentors to be educators and to really be inspiring I think that a second one is um, kind of a broader thing of learning from people is really one of the most effective things that you can do i think that i'm, I'm a huge reader i love to read books um, but i think that having conversations with individuals hearing about their life experiences is also a tremendous teacher so just trying to do that as much as possible five lessons is it's a, it's a big number i'm starting to just comb through all of the things that i've done in life i think a big third one and this is especially relevant right now because where I am, the state of California, a lot of it is on fire. And without overly pointing fingers, I think that there's a lot of ways our world, a lot of the issues that we see in our world have been perpetuated by the assumption that people who are in power always have done the right thing or know what is best. And we've seen now that that's oftentimes not true. And just because somebody is the president of the country (laughs) or uh, has a very high title doesn't, necessarily mean that they are acting in the best interest of everybody so trying to ask the question of who really knows what should be done where can we look to um, you know other sources uh, to traditional forms of knowledge to voices that maybe haven't been heard as much I think that that's incredibly important especially right now <laughs> um, and I think that the uh, I guess the for the last two lessons just the the real importance of creating community and creating solidarity around the goals that you hope to achieve because everybody I admire has spoken very openly about not getting to where they are alone, right? We all have people behind us, people who have our back, a lot of un- unseen and unsung heroes who make everything possible. So just uh, I think it's all about people in the end and, and that's kind of what all those lessons draw back to.
0: Awesome. Um, does that answer that question for you, Troy?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Cool. Um I, I wanna ask you how how important is it? Um now it was obviously important to you when you when you did that TED talk, but do you do you think it's got more important that kids have a voice?
2: I do think it's become even more important that kids have a voice. So in 2010 when I gave that talk. There were a lot of issues in the world that I felt youth were not being heard enough on. I think climate change was a huge one. There was of course education reform, which is how I began to enter this conversation about youth voice. But as time has gone on, you know, in the 10 years since, I think that all of these problems have really just become exacerbated and accelerated. I think that the rise of very troubling Attitudes t- about diversity, about immigration, here in the United States, um, but I think you know around the world there have been those trends. These are all coming to the fore, and I think that young people have been some of the strongest voices trying to combat this very dangerous uh, attitude of if we just put up walls everything will be okay. You have people like Greta Thunberg giving her speech at the United Nations, just really calling world leaders out and saying, we need to take climate change seriously. Our house is on fire. Um, Here in the U.S., uh, gun violence is an extreme problem. And I think that adults have kind of washed their hands or thrown their hands up in the air and said, oh, it's been a problem for so long, we can't do very much. And it's high school students who have said, no, we're putting our foot down. This has got to stop. So the problems have definitely become more severe in some areas, but I think with that alongside that young people's energy and drive has increased as well.
0: Yeah. uh, So, so that the, the follow-on question from that, and this connects back to what you talked about, about community, you know, how do we, how do we encourage, um, how do we encourage and develop, you know, that, that kind of listening and that, that community feel? How do we get parents and how do we get society, um, you know, to come together and actually start to address those those issues?
2: That's a great question. I'm ultimately really hopeful about the power that digital tools give us to communicate across borders, across all kinds of different barriers that might have been traditionally there if we were just uh, gathering in person. I think that You know, there's a lot of worthwhile criticism of the ways that social networks and stuff have maybe played into some of the issues that we're seeing today. But I think that there's also a tremendous amount of potential. When I was 12, 13, I was blogging, I was starting groups online to find like minded students around the world who were as passionate about these issues of student voice and education reform and feminism as I was. And I think that was a tremendous gift. Like anybody who came of age in the, in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s um, knows how incredible it is. If you feel like, oh, you're the weird kid at school, right, who just cares way too much about XYZ, you can find a community of people who also really care about that thing, and it, it doesn't matter if they're ten miles from you or a thousand. So I do think that building community online, building community with like-minded individuals who are invested in the pursuit of a better world, and self-improvement, and trying to be good listeners and kind people—that that is something that really gives me a lot of hope. I think that what you guys are doing is, is awesome. You know, giving young people tools to become educators and to go out and share their learning with others. That's amazing. And I think that we'll just see more and more of that as, as time comes. Yeah. Cool.
0: Awesome. Trisha, on.
1: Yeah, Definitely. So in your talk, you spoke about loads of things. And one thing that always came up was just perspective. So why don't you share sort of like your views or perspective, just how it impacts everyday decisions?
2: My views on how, sorry, which perspectives impact
1: everyday decisions? perspective as a whole and just how it impacts everyday decisions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that when I look at decisions and ask myself, like, what would somebody do if they were coming at this from the perspective of someone who's in Generation Z or somebody who's, I actually really try to think of kind of both ends of the spectrum because I think a lot of times we've seen issues where um, a good example, actually, is the way cities are designed. I read this great book called Invisible Women that talked about how uh, women have been historically excluded from a lot of data sets and even things like city planning, which we think of as this fairly neutral and inclusive process, have historically excluded a lot of women, a lot of uh, differently abled people, a lot of um, children. You know, so thinking about how do we make sure that we're thinking about how is a 10-year-old living through this space or this process, this school, this institution, whatever we're, we're planning for. Um, but also how is somebody who's 75 who maybe has limited mobility, how are they able to navigate this location? It could be a website that you're building, it could be a school, it could be a public space, um, whatever it is. And and so perspective is tremendously important in that. Um, I think that it's something that I've just come to appreciate more and more asking who's in the room and who do we need to have in the room and, and who do we need to be asking questions
1: yeah definitely definitely important thank you
0: you got another one there
1: um yeah definitely definitely go for it so like what would you say are some of the top barriers that our generation are facing today
2: there are i think a few pretty big ones um i think that just looking at the way that a lot of people, and I think even myself included, you know, I try to be very optimistic. And um, if, you, you know, from my talk, I, I have spoken a lot about the value of holding on to these sort of child childish qualities of like creativity and naivete, impulsiveness. But um, even I growing up, uh, really had to contend with this question of, in this economy, how do I embark on a career that allows me to feed myself and have health insurance, all these other questions, which, um, and, you know, I think in the United States, of course, it's uh, maybe particularly severe, but in in a lot of countries, children, as as we grow up, there is this process of how do I make decisions that make economic sense, and that becomes the first question, instead of the last question, and, and that does make me really sad. I think that it hinders people's creativity if we make decisions from a place of fear and not from freedom. And so I would personally love to see a world where no young person has to make decisions because they're about what to do in life, what kind of field of study to pursue, because they are worried about how they can provide for themselves, um, you know, day after day. Uh, I would really love to see a world where young people's, um, I think financial security is not so much of a uh, a huge concern. Um, I think that another big one is just the, um, the rapidly changing climate. I, I went outside another day and it smelled like wildfire smoke all around and the sun was a sort of persimmon or copper color. And I really thought like, wow, this is a hard place to be a young kid in and it should not be that way and we should um, not let things get to this point. So I yeah, I think that the um, economic inequality and climate change are definitely two big barriers, but they're ones where I'm seeing an incredible amount of activism from young people as well.
1: Mm. I def- especially like when it comes to sort of like actually embracing it, something that we also like struggle with, because it's something that obviously it's, it's weird at this first because like it's something that's so drastic, something that's so extreme and we've never it's sort of like we're expanding our comfort zone, really. We it, find it very crazy just to simply adapt to sort of like the new nuance, so to speak.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I think that what is really refreshing about, um, I see kids who are like 14, 15, who are just posting all kinds of stuff on social media about like, we need to have a different kind of world and this is not acceptable. It's because they haven't gotten used to it yet. Whereas I feel like a lot of 30, 40 year olds who I talk to, it's just kind of like, oh, this is the way it is. This is the way the world is. And I really love this like young person spirit of that's not acceptable. (laughs) This is not how it should be.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So so, a quick, quick one from me. And this, this leads in nicely with what you've just said, you kind of opened the door for that. And that was how, so from your, from, you know, when, when you think about yourself and your, your own childhood, what what was it that kind of gave you that confidence? Because most most kids don't have the confidence to you know, stand up and speak. Yeah, and I know you. Uh, this leads into to, to your book as well, and we'll touch on that a, a little bit later. Um, but most most kids don't have that confidence, kind of, to, to, to like, stand up and speak and and talk about what it is that they're they're passionate about, what's on their minds. What was it you know, that, that gave you that that confidence? Were you know were your parents particularly supportive of that? You know, or you know, was it just that you were kind of fiercely you know kind of, yeah independent and stubborn and you, know, you knew exactly what you wanted and that was going to happen regardless
2: I think it's a little bit of a combination so there's definitely some element of personality right like I looked at this old home video that my mother had filmed on my fifth birthday and I was just goofing off in front of the camera and making all kinds of faces and just doing every you know I, I love sort of being the center of attention as a little kid in a room and there are kids who are like that and just sort of love that, you know, acting up in front of the camera and stuff. Um, and I remember when I was three, my mom, my sister and I, we would go on walks and there was this park with a huge boulder and I would just climb to the top of this boulder and start giving speeches mm-hmm. <laughs> and t- saying, oh, everybody should vote for me for president. It was, a lot to ask, of course, at three years old to so yeah. <laughs> get a presidential vote. But I think that I was just sort of filled with energy. So there was a part of it that was maybe a little bit, that was just the way I was for whatever reason. But I think another big part of it is really a lot of kids are fairly confident when they're that young because the world hasn't sort of knocked you down and said you're not good enough, you don't have enough to say. There haven't been all of these discouragements that have come about. I think that little kids are just born curious they run around they put things in their mouth they're trying to touch everything figure out how things work and what they do and are just filled with wonder and so the longer that can be preserved i think the easier it is to go up on a stage and not really see it as something that is unnatural
0: were you were you supported by you know, like your parents your teachers in in pursuing that in you know moving forward and, and doing these because you said you started off doing these small workshops and you know, then going to these education conferences yeah, you know, I take it. You know, you were supported. Yeah, you know, at, at at every level in that. You know, was there was there at any point? You know, any like you know, barriers that were put up that you had then to push through?
2: I think that I was really lucky um, in that. You know, as I said, everybody has kind of this whole army of people behind them whenever they accomplish something, and in my case, I always had my you know my dad would be driving me to a school if I was giving a presentation he'd often like take the morning off work so that I could get a ride to go and, and deliver some kind of workshop and my mom would often be there as well um, you know helping me set up the projector and I would have this box of stuffed animals that I would use as props when I was collaboratively writing a story with a group of students and she'd help me carry that in and so I think that my parents are absolutely there for me I would say that they were maybe there for me more than Uh, a lot I think that a lot of parents are just incredibly busy right and so that's not a knock on anyone I think everybody has like a certain amount of time that they're able to devote but I was really lucky that they prioritized helping me get to these places and um, yeah it was it was great to have that support I will say that my local school district so when it came to trying to to mesh being in school with traveling around, it was difficult to make the case to to my fairly traditional school that I should be allowed to have all these absences. And I think that that gave me this, it really instilled in me this sense that learning should not be defined by the number of hours we put our butts in a chair. (laughs) And it struck me as a really just very old fashioned way of thinking about education. But, you know, I, I think everybody did the best they could
0: within the constraints that were there for sure for sure no I think, I think I, yeah you know, and I asked that question because I do believe that you know um yeah education it, it is not something that we can just leave to you know to teachers anymore this is something that needs to be yeah you know, a family a community affair yeah I don't know um you know like within Trey Sean's family yeah you know, is and, and your mum specifically talks about this a lot and that's you know it takes a it takes a community to bring up a child, and I, I don't think that has been more um, more true um, yeah, in in Western society than it is right now. Yeah, it does need everyone to kind of like come together and everyone to support, you know, in order to give children those confident that confidence in order to allow them to you know, to kind of like preserve you know, that creativity, to pr- preserve that genius that you know that you talked about before.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that just to kind of throw in a word on the value of community, I was lucky enough to go visit my mom is an immigrant from China. And she came to the US since she was 25. I went back with her to her hometown. She hadn't been back in basically 25 years. And I got to meet all of these old classmates of hers. Now, growing up in China during the Cultural Revolution, undisputably a tough time. And I think one that she wouldn't have like wished on anybody. But one thing that I did envy about, Uh, or one element of her experience was that she went back she saw these old classmates and despite not having seen them for all this time they, they had such warm bonds because these were people who had gone through many years together as this like very strong group you know all attending school and all being there for each other through moments of their childhood and I think that in the Western world we have a very atomized conception of education of work and people Kind of move through life as these units everyone out for themselves um maybe exaggerating a little bit of course but um what i saw when, when i went back with my mom to her hometown was just a vision of something very different and i think that we can learn from trying to create more of that it takes a village mm-hmm. mentality and building stronger communities around learning
0: yeah yeah beautiful Trey Shaw.
1: yeah definitely so by like, talking about what uh p had to do with uh, schooling and education as a whole what would you sort of like say are some of the best ways to keep our generation engaged in learning?
2: Ooh, the best ways to keep our generation engaged in learning. I think a huge part is that many students don't necessarily feel that what they're learning in school is relevant to them. And uh, you know, Pete, I think this is something that you had mentioned too when, when we spoke. And, That's something that causes a lot of students to not want to continue with their education. I read, I think, a research paper from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that was looking at why kids drop out of high school. And it wasn't that they weren't interested in working hard or that there was some deficit. It was literally, I don't understand the point of what we are learning in -hmm. school. And I think that that's a tremendous problem. I think that learning has to be relevant. And when I say relevant, I don't only mean relevant in sort of a narrow sense that is defined by the market uh, as like what can students get jobs in but really relevant in what can i use to help uplift my community what are the needs that exist in society that i can help address Um, so i'm really heartened by efforts that allow students to take part in more experiential learning to shadow doctors or to help author petitions about issues in their community and, and really change things for the better i think that anything that connects students to the world around them that allows People to be a part of the world instead of set apart from it, which is how I think school functions right now. Um, anything that changes that is really a good thing.
1: I de- definitely agree. Definitely.
0: Cool. Yeah, I, th- I think you know, perhaps yeah, you know, this is you know, this is highlighted the most by the fact that you know the education system hasn't changed in you know um, in, in decades. Um, yeah, and we're still you know, we're still like teaching in exactly the same way. And I had this conversation with someone earlier, um, around you know, this idea that if you know, technology and society is moving so, so quickly right now, yeah, education, it's not that it doesn't want to catch up. It's just, it's unable to catch up. Yeah. That yes, yeah, it's, right. it's become such a, um, such a fixed part of yeah, our society. Yeah. Of our yeah, administration, even, you yeah, know, within, within countries that to change it as rapidly as technology changes and as, as rapidly as society is changing is, is, is a near impossible task. And, and so I think that's why you know, it's super important that you know, we, we look at education as something that is not just the responsibility of the education institutions. It becomes something that's much wider. Yeah. And I, again, I think with, um, with the advances in technology, you know, information is, is so available right now and it's just a case of you know, giving kids almost permission you know, to look at and explore different things and then encouraging and supporting them in those things, you know, when they when they find what they want to do.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that is so much more powerful than the model right now, which is just kind of, all right, sit down for this number of years and memorize yeah. what we put in front of you. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. I saw, uh, so there was a, there was a study done recently. Um, and they they surveyed. I think it was. I don't know how what the sur- what the, uh, the survey size was, but it was seven to, seven to fourteen year olds. And what they found was that, especially over over the period of COVID, um, that between forty and fifty percent of children between the ages of seventeen and fourteen no longer see the relevance of exams and testing mm. with, within the school system. You know, which wow. kind of like you know, points back to what you were saying about. It, education needs to be relevant relevant to at you know, the time relevant to what those children are likely to want to do and also to the um, yeah you know, the the issues that they see the world facing
2: right hundred percent and I think that there's COVID has completely interrupted everybody's life, of course, and it's interrupted the lives of educators and students in particular as we're shifting all towards distance learning instead of brick and mortar schools. But I think that there is opportunity here to try and tie it back to things that are relevant. You know, asking students, what are the needs in your communities that are currently not being met? Are there elderly people maybe in a neighborhood? And what are the supply chains for getting food to them? Asking how are vaccines transported? These are all questions that I didn't really think about a whole lot in school but i can imagine that because they're top of mind right now would be interesting questions to work through to do research on to assist with right and what i'm seeing is that instead a lot of schools are just kind of pivoting to how can we deliver the same content but on a computer yeah Um, so i I really hope that more schools are going to take up some of the opportunities to make learning more relevant to the moment
0: yeah i I think that's that's really important you point to a uh, a really quite kind of like, yeah um really interesting yeah quite kind of angle there when you said that you know it, it some of the some of the questions that you might be having you know about collect kind of like supply chain and things like that because because those can actually just be turned into so it's not just a, a lesson of relevance but it's also a lesson in um yeah in in business in commerce it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a lesson in yeah how the world works yeah, right you know many many students you know until they until they go out into the world of work they don't understand you know the the moving pieces that that allow you know them to be able to buy that pack of gum in the shop they don't understand yeah. all the pieces that went before it to make that happen and, exactly. they, and they then don't understand the economics of why the price has just gone up on that right, right. whereas actually if you start allowing them to explore these these relevant um, uh, these relevant incidences that are happening in their lives and i start to ask those questions, then they start to gain, as, you, as, as we're talking about, you know, relevant insights and relevant information that helps them piece together then um, the world around them, which right. is far more useful in my opinion than you know, learning <laughs> trigonometry, which they've, once they've done the test on it, they're never gonna use again, unless, they're, yeah, unless they go into yeah, some sort of advanced mathematics or, or whatever it is, and even then, these days, there's a computer that's gonna do
2: it for them. Right. Yep. no, I've only, I've had nightmares about sine cosine. <laughs> but I have not used it in a meaningful sense otherwise. And I think that there's also a real argument to be made for maybe trigonometry. We, we have to learn it for some reason. But I think that if we are given more real world applications that actually use it, that There's more motivation and there's more energy to sort of power through those subjects. Um, Yeah, and and something like industrial engineering and operations research, I didn't have a conception of what that was or of supply chains and of how this ties into getting vaccines, maybe from point A to point B or other needed and uh, important goods. Um, and now that I think about that in the context of our very connected world and of disease and all that, uh, I see how important it is. I, I just wish that more students had the opportunity to see that kind of thing earlier. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Trisho?
1: Yeah. Um, so like earlier on, you spoke about that crisis and sort of like, what would you say are some things that people could do to stay motivated during moments of crisis?
2: That's a good question. And it's uh, certainly one that I struggle with myself. I don't think that there's anyone in the world who can say that they're perfectly calm during all moments of crisis. Maybe some monks who have the meditation game really strong. But <laughs> I think that part of it is just trying to take a deep breath. Um, you know, I've become a little bit better at, at cultivating more of that like, daily mindfulness exercise. That's another thing, incidentally, that I sort of wish there had been more space and time for in school. I'm glad to see that educators are moving towards those, um, I don't know what to call it, it uh, feels strange. strangely skills, but yeah, I guess that, that skill of being able to take a pause and really um, be mindful. I think that another thing that has been helpful for me in times of crisis is looking to see who is actively working to make things better who has their finger on the pulse of the situation, whether it's epidemiologists and public health officials who are sharing up-to-date information and doing their best to keep people safe. Or maybe it's um, young activists who are speaking out about the root causes of some of the issues that we're seeing now and how we can ameliorate them in the future. Maybe it's writers who are putting out some incredibly beautiful writing uh, and giving us novels and television shows and movies that help us look away from the world being on fire for a moment i think that realizing more people in the world want to do good than harm at least that's my hope that has always given me some solace in, in moments like this
1: yeah it's definitely important it links back to like what you were talking about um, mm-hmm. earlier about perspective and just simply like listening to what people are putting out there as opposed to trying to project all of this onto them just simply take, taking that breath taking that step back and simply listening to the ways that people are actually calling for.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And on your shirt, it says mindset switch. I feel like that's a pretty powerful thing to do in times like these.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And Pete?
0: Yeah. How important, so again, um, we just touched on it briefly. How important is, is mindset to, um, to human development?
2: Mindset is incredibly important. I mean, there's, so many things. I, I was just actually listening to a podcast uh, with um, researchers, and who were talking about grit and resilience, and how the way that people respond to problems when they're thrown their way is really predictive of outcomes in a pretty powerful sense. Um, I think that. I mean, to be completely honest, like I don't always have an internal locus of control. <laughs> I think that It's pretty hard to have one all the time to say like, okay, I can do things, and the outcomes will change as a result. Um, but I think that. Reminding ourselves that we are powerful that we can affect our own outcomes and the world's outcomes as well in in a larger sense. That that's pretty necessary, um, because it is very easy to just Mm -hmm. say, I can't do anything. And when we say that it becomes true. So I do try to remind myself um, that we all do have some power. Um, and even if it's something as simple as talking to a friend about an issue and raising awareness, um, getting someone on board to help volunteer for a cause that you believe in. Um, it doesn't have to be that we are all, you know, the, the heroes that we see on the front of history books, but we can all help somebody get there and help, uh, the causes that we believe in.
0: Cool. Um, I want to ask you about speak up. Uh, so tell tell us a little bit about Speak Up and uh, <clears throat> and what you know what the driver was for that and what your hope is for for that is is that a movement are you are you are you secretly creating a new movement here as well?
2: <laughs> so Speak Up uh, is a book. I guess I should start off with that. Um, just published in February, and I had been working on it for about half a year, a little longer than half a year prior, and so Speak Up. Uh, speeches by young people to empower and inspire is the full title it's a collection of speeches by youth from around the world and through history um, who have just really inspired me personally Um, so you have Malala and there's Greta Thunberg but there's also names that you maybe have not heard of um, people who have done work in kind of more local communities and I think that when Speak Up came out it was right on the cusp of you know COVID kind of
0: yeah
2: (laughs) well yeah every everything in the world sort of um going downhill in a lot of ways and so it was a real inflection point where i thought wow this is a moment we need to hear youth voices more than ever so my hope is that whether it's young people who are picking up the book and reading it and feeling inspired that they can maybe record a video that's calling for change or if it's teachers or parents who are thinking that they should be looking at youth in their life in a different way. I really hope it does make people see the innate potential that resides in um, really all children. Um, You know, not only those children who we think of as gifted or special and talented, but really all children. Um, The child who's struggling in school and doesn't find it easy to get good grades. They have a lot of insight and wisdom about the life experiences that they've had and the ways that things can be better
0: um trey sean have you got any comments or thoughts on yeah you know, on that as well because you know you both you and uh, and all of your siblings are all you know authors you've all written books you've all got a, pr- a pretty inspiring story you know yourselves um yeah and you know, you're you're always um you're always kind of sharing your messages how important I'm throwing this question out to you as if I'm interviewing you as well Uh, how important do you do you feel that yeah it is for children to speak up
1: I think yeah definitely it's definitely important like um, definitely something that my family and I are really keen on as it it helps just to resolve a lot of issues before you even get to that stage just by simply just talking and opening up and there's this like one analogy which is a family and just like a few people have like shared with me constantly throughout my life just like thinking of like like, a bottle of coke like there's so much that you can suppress until you implode and it's just about like simply as you said speak up and just simply letting out really yeah definitely
2: yeah i love that bottle of coke analogy or any fizzy drink i guess depending on the brand loyalties i think that it's true in a societal sense as well you Mm -hmm. know it's it's oftentimes expected that we just don't speak out about the things that are wrong. I think that so much of society functions on the acceptance of silence. And then what we see is that that tends to have just disastrous impacts when people have gone silent for too long. And that's why I'm just really, really motivated by people who stand up and and do something. Um, You know, one of the stories that I included in the book actually a girl from Britain, um, Amica George, who was angry about the tax on women's sanitary products and uh, the unavailability of um, sanitary products in schools and how this kept a lot of young women in poverty from attending school for a week every month. And so she led a protest Um, right outside Downing Street and got all of these young people, I think young men and young women uh, to join in on this important cause. Uh, And when I read that, I was like, wow, you know, this is something that I, I wouldn't have thought to really start a movement because in my head, it's just been so ingrained that there are things you don't ask for. Um, There are certain like little injustices that you kind of expect and you don't notice after some time. Right. But she, I think that she had just been sitting down and reading a newspaper basically when she saw that this issue of period poverty was keeping um, young girls out of school and the fact that she thought no i'm going to actually do something about it is incredible Um, and so every day there's opportunities where people are sitting down at a kitchen table they're opening the newspaper they're turning on the news or maybe they're hearing something from their parents and the moment they choose to open that lid on that carbonated drink (laughs) They don't keep it keep the lid on the coke bottle. Um, incredible things can happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, yeah, it's it's, it's it's interesting because yeah, this is yeah. we all we all have you know potential within us. Yeah, and and that potential you know shouldn't you know shouldn't be capped in any way. It shouldn't be like you say it shouldn't be suppressed, and we should just uh, you know encourage. Uh, encourage more of that on, on that note is there you know, you your your talk was a ted talk is there a, is there a ted kids
2: that's a great question so actually i think i've been to at least one ted youth conference and i'm not sure if they've continued that i'm sure this year with everything going on yeah. that the in-person conferences have been suspended but the ted youth um has been an event that's happened and they've also they have ted ed um Incidentally, I interned for them uh, many years ago when I was uh, still a college student. And that's a lovely sort of branch of the organization that does um, videos and clubs for young people. So I've been really heartened to see that. I think another branch is a lot of youth have started TEDx events. Um, so that was something that I did when I was in high school was uh, organize a local TEDx event. Oh. And um, that's one of the great things is that ideas are pretty age neutral. You know, yeah. anybody can have a good idea. Yeah. And so that whole slogan of ideas worth spreading, I think it's been very applicable to young people as well.
0: Cool. Trisha, one last question?
1: Definitely. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to those who may be looking to give up?
2: Wow, that's a, a hard and important question. I think that one is that it's always okay to pause, right, to look around and take stock of where you are, the resources you have available. And that includes your own sort of reserve of energy and strength. And everybody does have a a limit where you've worked really hard. and Maybe you just need to go to the beach and (laughs) look around and, and take a breath. Right. And there's no shame in that. I think that as a culture, especially in our modern times, we've really glorified the hustle and the constant, constant kind of work. And um, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for our environment. It's not sustainable for individuals, um, but it's really also not necessary, right? We can do big important things in our lives without making ourselves miserable. And so if it is an issue of feeling kind of burned out, I think it's, it's really okay to take a pause and, and um, take a breath. As far as giving up, you know, I think that that word has a lot of different meanings and and different connotations. I don't think that it's okay to give up on wanting to do good and wanting to be better. I think that those are lifelong processes that we all really undertake and we all have kind of a moral responsibility to do our part there. Um, I know it feels hard and it's easy to feel powerless and like we don't have anything to give. Um, But You know, if if even a little kid can stand up and and point to a problem and say, why is it like that? And shouldn't we do something about it? Um, Then I think all of us can really take it upon ourselves to figure out where we can have some impact. Again, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. We don't have to be going and knocking on every single door, but I think there are so many small ways to make the world a better place, even checking in on a neighbor and making sure they're doing okay during this time starting a phone tree to call folks and see how they're doing and if you can offer some kind of moral support, Um, doing research on an issue and understanding where people might need to have more knowledge and how you can maybe start a a video channel or some kind of platform to educate. These are all things that take not a ton of time to do and I think can have really big rewards. Um, So giving up, I think, is actually harder (laughs) <laughs> just taking on this mantle of responsibility and trying to, to do our part.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like, just so important. Just simply just like giving it a go really, because you never actually know until you give it that try.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think you don't know who you, you know, as you've seen from some of the stories you've shared in your book, you don't know who you inspire by trying yeah it may seem like you've not achieved what you wanted to achieve what you set out to achieve but you never know what that ripple you know what uh, you know what that uh, that ripple effect is going to be you know, when you when you put that uh, when you put that message out into the world when you let your voice be heard however however quiet however faint it is it only needs one person to hear it and to be touched by it for it to you know have an impact and create change
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, right after giving that TED talk, I remember being so scared because I hadn't been nervous right when I got up. I think the adrenaline powered through. But then, you know, the moment after the adrenaline stops and subsides. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't know how that just went. And I think what made it worthwhile and what answered that question for me was many months later when the video came out and students would write to me saying that it had given them some hope or some courage. I think that meant everything. And even if it had been just one person who said that it would have made it all worthwhile.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, Thank
2: you.
0: uh, Trey Sean, thank you for your questions today as well. Um, Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's been enlightening and I'm looking forward to, uh, to grabbing a copy of uh, of speak up and um, reading some of those stories for myself and, uh, and to, and to seeing what, what else is to come from, you know, the ripples that you've created.
2: Thank you. Really appreciate it. Both of you have a great rest of your evening.
0: Thanks so much. We are Sarva. The future of education starts here.